0: If you would, let's open in prayer and then we can get into chapter 9 of Luke and uh, take it from there. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome, awesome Godfather. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here today. Father, just as we have lifted up our voice during worship and just as we can feel Your presence, Father, that You are here today in our midst to heal, to touch, and to work through us, Father. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would continue to open the eyes of our heart so that we could see You clearer, stronger, and that we would have a walk, Father, that would bear fruit. We ask that You'd be here, Father, just to strengthen us and that uh, we would just continue to serve You in, in the fullness of our life, Father. We give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're uh, going to go through Luke chapter 9. And uh, really this is a continuation. And I see a continual thought that's really picked up in chapter 8 when Jesus kicked off and was telling us about the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower was rather simple. We saw that Jesus was looking at a multitude, a mixed multitude of people And we see that Jesus, as He sees all of the people of the earth, all the things that are happening, we look at it as so complicated, yet Jesus starts to sort the people out, sift them, if you would, as a sower that would go out and sow the seed. Uh, Throws a lot of the seed out there, and some of the seed can fall on the roadway where the birds of the air would come and snatch it up quickly. We can see where some of the seed can be planted along the shallow soil where it was rocky, but because of its depth it might spring up, but it would not continue to grow. We can see that there's a group of people where the seed is sown and is thrown out into uh, the soil. It grows, but it's tangled with the weeds and it doesn't bear forth fruit. And then finally we can see that there is seed that falls upon the good soil. It produces a crop of a hundredfold. And Jesus takes His Word and He scatters His Word to you and I. We become that soil. And as you would, you have almost see an, an illustration, a parable, a, a, a point, an example of how this is portrayed. First, we saw that the disciples were a group of people that at least asked the questions to Jesus. What does this mean? And so many people are dull, dim-witted, they refuse to think about the things of life. And it's almost like the seed just bounces off of them and Satan just snatches it up. These are the people that don't ask. They're clueless. And we saw a group of people that were that way. The disciples, a true disciple is the second theme that's weaving its way through this to ask what is good soil? What's a true disciple? We want to be true disciples. And then we saw another group of people that were rejecting Jesus because they wanted their pigs. They were mad that Jesus cast out demons out of this guy with a legion of demons. Threw the legion of demons, the hordes into the pigs. And the people said, Jesus, you killed my pig. I don't like this. And they rejected Jesus. They asked him to leave because of their pig. And then all of a sudden we saw last week where there was a group of people where they laughed at Jesus because Jesus said he could resurrect the dead. And so many people can laugh at Jesus and be twisted and rejected. And finally, we come today into chapter 9, And you can see that there's a group of people that are accepting, believing, and working with the Word of God. Jesus wants to do a work, and He's calling His twelve together here in chapter nine. And He says, and He called His twelve disciples together and gave them the twelve power, power and authority over all how many all demons to what to cure diseases. So Jesus is sowing that seed, that seed that is able to do this. He takes them and He sent them, sends them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And as He's sending them out, as He would take any one of us with the seed that's planted in us, He wants us to be sent out, to spread the message. And He said to them, "...take nothing for the journey." neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Don't even bring an extra change of clothing. You need nothing. And he says, whatever house you enter, sounds almost haphazard, you stay there and from there depart And whoever will not receive you, then you go out of that city and you shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they responded. They departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel. And guess what? They got results. They were healing everywhere. Now, I like this because sometimes we have to say, you know what, Christianity, as much as we've seen as, uh, as many failures of it not working right, as many times as it's being rejected, guess what, people? Sometimes, just sometimes, the gospel actually works. And, and I think we as believers can minister the gospel so many times and we can see such rejection. Jesus said, "...many are called, few are chosen." Jesus said, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. The path is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those that are on it. And we can see that there is a broad way of destruction that seems like sometimes that everybody's on that path, and we feel like we're the lone ranger, the only one that seems to get it, But the truth is, is that there are people, other people like you and I, that can sit down there, receive the gospel and have it change our lives. We can be filled with power and authority and then you and I can become healers in the process. And and we need to see that sometimes it does work. That there is a treasure in Christ. And as we go through this sifting process, Jesus wants us to realize that that there are some that make it and do the right thing. And notice, if you would, we need to make a point that as we are sent out into the world to spread the gospel, it's clearly shown us that there is nothing that we need on top of it. The church is, is desperate to find answers for sometimes its failures. And the church always wants to come up with a new program, a new process. If we just had a new computer program, that's what it was. We would be able to do the job better. And Jesus is clearly telling you there is nothing, did you hear that? Nothing that you need. You don't need even an extra change of clothes. You don't need money. You don't need a a bag. You don't need a staff. You don't need anything that you think that can support or carry or the extra things that you want to squirrel away. The only thing that you need in life is the power and the authority of Christ. And that we receive when we accept and believe on Him. I like this. Sometimes we feel the burden that we have to have an objective. We have to have a game plan. And, and inside of this passage, you're seeing where it says in verse 4, He says, whatever house you enter. Do you hear that tone? It's like, you know, you're going to go out there and wherever you stumble, wherever you fall into, whatever house happens, he doesn't say you have to have this sh- strategy, this game plan, this all pre-thought-out idea, and you only go to the big places, the nice places, or certain places, wherever, whatever you do with your life. There's a sense of randomness uh, that we as Christians, we should know the, the process of having the power and the authority of Christ But you know what? It fits into any mold. It fits into every mold that's out there. And it's a matter of us just saying, just show me somebody that's looking and I'll I'll go to that place. A a sense of randomness. And then the third thing that's clear here is that you have to sometimes shake the dust off your feet because we recognize that it's going to be rejected. You have to preach. You have to preach Christ Christ And if you preach Christ, people's life have to respond to Jesus and not to you. That's the idea, that's the objective, that you go in His name, His authority, and then you preach Him. Not us, not me, not mine, but Jesus. Uh, It's interesting as you watch many people come before the kingdom of God, where you see people come before and be embraced by Christ, and they start to reject Christ in the masses. People don't want that. People don't need that. And, and what is he saying? Jesus is saying, it's okay. Because what you do is you say, that's your problem. You're shaking the dust off your feet. You're saying, I don't want anything to do with this household or anything to do with any part of the dust of this household because it's disgusting on how you would want to leave a God that is presented correctly of power and authority that wants to heal. What kind of person doesn't want the healing touch of God in their life? That's insane. Do you realize that Jesus loves you? He can forgive you of all of your sins and that Jesus wants to heal you? I don't want any of that. No, thank you. Shut up with that Jesus stuff. Now, wait a second. I could understand if you were thinking of, you know, the false Jesus that sometimes Christians portray this mean, evil Jesus that, you know, you better do what He says or He's going to sentence you to hell. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. But there is a Jesus that's preached by the church that can sometimes be very offensive. But when the true Jesus is preached, the Jesus that is there with power and authority to heal, that's a loving God, a God that wants to set people free. And our premise is is that even if the true Jesus is preached, for those that reject the true Jesus... If I told you that God was loving kind and forgives you and wants to give you power to heal you, and you say you don't want it, then there is a spirit of rejection, of anger, of control and manipulation in your life. Sorry. And all I can say is, that's your problem. I'm going to move on to someone who is thirsty, hungry, and as we see here, the the the, the, the buzzword is in need we go to those that are in need. People that are hungry, thirsty, longing for the kingdom of God. And for that soul, it is a drink of cold water that satisfies that thirst. But unfortunately, there is a world out there that's not thirsty. They have no desire. They're in the midst of pursuing sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They can't get enough of it fast enough And they need to have more of it. What do they say? Too much is just enough. And when we come back and show somebody to say, wait a second, there's pain in your life, and you can have that pain touched, they do not want to hear that. And Jesus is coming and saying, my message is to those that are in need. And anybody who's in need, anyone who's thirsty, hungry for righteousness, and saying, Lord, I feel miserable, that comes in. And if that's rejected, then if it's to be rejected, then you walk away from it. But if not, then that's where the point of healing takes place. It's right there in that point. And so Jesus is saying, He says, sometimes it's to be rejected. And, and I don't know, if as we've watched a lot of people come to church and then they go, oh, Pastor Dave, you offended me, I'm leaving church. And you go, I don't know, our church is a little podunk little church. We don't particularly do much besides teach the Bible. And the truth of the matter is, is if people are offended by something that we've done, the truth is, is they they were rejecting and were shut God out of their life first. You got to shut God off. God is the one that says to forgive and to heal, just as the prophetic word was this morning, to say, hey, if you've got bitterness in your heart, you have to forgive. And anybody that's walking with the Lord will be able to say, hey, brother, you offended me, and then they would be able to say, therefore, I can forgive you. That's our mandate as a Christian. To turn around, though, and to say, you offended me, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I'm not going to go to this church, and I'm not going to do this. Truth of the matter is, is that there are people that want to reject God and His love. I think when I got into the ministry, I don't think I could ever conceive that of happening. I always said, well, if I just told people the truth, if I just presented the true Jesus of a God of love, surely everyone would want to accept this Christ. It must be because of ignorance. I've learned some hard lessons in the ministry, and that people do reject the true Christ because they have selfish motives. And Jesus is looking for that pure seed to be planted in a soil that will produce. And he's saying, you go out, you have a desire to save souls. You have to be sent out because you understand the power and the authority and the touch that's in God. I don't know why there's so many people that reject Jesus. I don't know if I have a good answer. If you can say, well, Dave, do all those people burn in hell. Uh, you reject Jesus? Or you, I, I don't like to answer those questions. I don't think I have clear-cut answers for those. I'm glad God's God and He can judge on Judgment Day where everyone stands. But there is a group of people in masses, in masses, that reject the true Jesus. It's heartbreaking. And Jesus is begging for the true seed to be planted You watch now Is even Herod, it comes now and he doesn't like this scene. Notice what's happening in verse 7. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch. Now this is going to be Herod Jr. A Tetrarch means that he's a quarter king, if you would. Not like his father who was the full king, if you would. This now Herod that killed Jesus when he was a baby and wanted to be so full of anger has now passed away after Christ was born. That was when Herod Sr. was in his loony bin days and wanted to go kill all the children. And so now Herod, his son, has taken over a quarter of his father's kingdom, if you would. It got divided. And uh, we saw a, a little thing. It says that Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, Jesus. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. So, here you're looking at somebody who would clearly reject the word of God. Herod was one that was rebuked by John the Baptist because he grabbed... Herodias, which was his brother Philip's wife, another quarter king, and so these two kings are passing women back and forth. John the Baptist, the righteous man that he was, he decided to interfere with some of the doings of the politics of the day and spoke up and said what was going on. And now from Herod's perspective, the Tetrarch, if you would, he's turning around and saying, are these prophets ever going to shut up? Some guy's in my face telling me that I'm wrong. I kill him. And now all of a sudden, I got another one of these little prophets running around. And if you would, he's like, what is it going to (coughs) take to silence the word of God? I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to hear about anything that's going on. Maybe, and you could see him. Maybe this is John the Baptist risen from the dead to haunt me because, (coughs) listen, I got a guilty conscience. I know what he said was right. I thought if I took his head off, all those little voices of my conscience would go away. But now, the poor guy's still haunted. He's still bugged by these things. And all of a sudden, you're seeing where all of a sudden, he's going, what is it going to take to shut this God thing up? The answer is, is, it never goes away. And you can't just shoot the messenger... And you have to see that this guy is is taunted, haunted, and he's perplexed, it says, as some of these things are happening. And so he's interested to find out just who this Jesus is. But I love this verse 10. It says, when the apostles, when they had returned, so they're coming back from the journey, and you could just see them. They're all bubbling with joy. They're going, oh, man. You should see the things that Jesus has done in my life. And they wanted to tell Jesus all that they had done. Ah, Jesus, I want to just share some stories with you. And he took them and he went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So he's trying, if you would, to get alone. The disciples want some alone time with Jesus. Do you ever have that where you get bogged down for all the things that are happening in the day and you're just desiring to say lord i just want to be alone with you i just want some quiet time to talk to you lord i need to spend some time listening and it seems like you're always being bugged and something's always interrupting you and you can never have that moment of silence and if you would, they wanted to go along. They wanted to tell him all these things. And so he wants to take them aside privately to a deserted place belonging to a city called Bethsaida. But uh-oh, he says, but when the multitudes, all those people, the mixed attitudes, when they knew it, they followed him. In Jesus' heart, it says, it says he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had need, who had need of healing. So some of the disciples, I'm sure they're saying, man, these pesky people, they keep bugging us. I want to be alone with Jesus, you know, and Lord, Christianity would be so easy if it wasn't for all these other stupid people bugging me. <laughs> I could follow Jesus, but you know what? It's these all these other people that get underneath my skin uh, that I got to forgive. And you know what? I, could, I would just love to have church in Jesus if it wasn't for all the people in the church. But I love Jesus. He turns around and He just keeps on giving. It says He received them. He didn't turn around and say, Enough! I've had it! I've received my quota for healings. No! Jesus turns around, He receives them. He wants to continue to give without measure. And he's continuing to heal those because he's seeing that there are needs of the people. It says, when the day began to wear away, though, as time goes on, things wear away. You can just see where the disciples are kind of having enough. The disciples came and they said to Jesus, send the multitudes away. Get these people out of here. Enough's enough that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. For we're in a deserted place here. Now, Jesus turns around and he asks another question and he says to them, you give them something to eat. He's giving them a statement to say, you give them something to eat. What do you mean me? And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men, large crowd. And he says, Well make and he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of fifty. And they did so, and made them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And not only that, as a kicker, you get twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. So you're seeing a miracle of Jesus as he has produced food to feed the multitudes. Jesus is more than able to meet the needs that we sometimes look and says, God, we can't continue to put up with these people. And God wants to do a work in your heart, in your heart, so that you have a desire to continue to take care of, listen to this, other people. Because that's what it's all about. That you would sometimes in your heart, in your life, be able to sometimes put up with, tolerate, deal with, love with other people. And we do. We can come and say, Lord, I can't do anymore. Lord, I don't want to do anymore. Lord, I'm sick and tired of all the people. They're always crowding in on my life. They're always taking my space. And Jesus is turning around and says, Buddy, wake up. This is what it is all about. About loving, caring, in dealing with other people. Notice, if you would, that Jesus turns around and He says, First off, He says, He, he, he asks them to break the groups down into 50. And I like that. Why does Jesus say that? Why is Jesus asking us to break things down into groups of 50? Because sometimes there's a couple reasons, I guess. Because it it makes things more manageable. It makes things more accessible. And sometimes we look at a big problem and we go, how is all this going to happen? And what the Lord is telling us, it's almost like looking at a math problem. He's telling us to factor it down. Break it down into something that you can deal with. If it were 50 people, could you deal with 50? And you go, well, we might be able to feed 50. Well, how do you still do that with five loaves and two fish? And you say, well, Jesus is able to provide. He's going to take what, what Jesus has, what we're able to give to the Lord, And the Lord is able to reproduce, to multiply the things that we give the Lord. And he's able to distribute the things that we have. If we give our lives to the Lord, as small as it is of two fish and five loaves, God can take that and multiply a heart. He can multiply our strength. And when he says, Lord, I I can't do this, I, I can't the wearing down on our soul and on our body where we feel tired, we feel fatigued, and we go, Lord, I just can't do this. Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I put up with people, and it just seems like I'm surrounded with idiots. It's hard to fly with the turkeys when you're... hard to fly with the eagles when you're surrounded by the turkeys. And you go, Lord, I I, want to do so much more. It's the people. And Jesus is showing us the successful heart is going to be one that is going to have compassion and concern for other people. To be able to say, Lord, I want to break this down. I want to turn around and look at it. And sometimes, listen to this, we want to be able to say, Jesus, you take care of all these things. Jesus, you take care of this problem. I just want to throw people at Jesus. And what Jesus is turning around and he's saying, he's saying, no, I've got you. You, you go take care of this. Now, it's amazing. I, I think this is one of those roadblocks that come into our lives where we turn around and we don't want to actually think that there is a place for us, us to turn around and to apply our lives into someone else. We're happy to say, hey, look, I want to I wanna, I wanna invite you to church. It's amazing how we as Christians can turn around and invite someone else to church and then say, well, I want you to meet the pastor, and then the pastor will show you Jesus. But what Jesus is telling us is, is that you as a disciple, you are the one with the power and the authority You are the one that has to be able to be able to give an answer for the things that you believe, and that we have the obligation to turn around and to say, hey, maybe I need to lead this person to Christ. Maybe I need to lay my hands on this person and pray that the demon would be cast out, to pray that a healing would take place. I'm shocked at the amount of us as believers that fail to take the initiative and to turn around and to say, well, what do you want me to do about it? Well, do you have the power and the authority of Christ in you? Do you? Then what are you afraid of? And all of us as Christians, we hit this this, this roadblock and we says, well, you're asking me to go out and to do something. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, "Wait a second. Did you just go out without a tunic, without a money bag with? Did you just see how you preach the gospel and how all the demonic things were at your power and at your at your? Did you just see that example? Well, now take it to the next level." Jesus says, "And what is he saying? Now feed these sheep. Feed these people. Love these people." Well, the problem's too big, Jesus. It's never going to happen, Jesus. I can't do it with, oh, I got to, oh, wait a second. Wait, back up. You got to ask yourself the questions. Where are you at in this parable? Where are you at in this story? And Jesus is really coming up and he wants to slap you. And he says, You feed the people. Oh, not me. I'm a new Christian. Not me. I don't really understand. Not me. I haven't been to seminary. Not me. I don't understand. Not, wait a second. Yes, you. Yes, you. We don't like to hear that. I'm amazed sometimes I carry the title pastor. Like I said, I went down to this motorcycle group. And, and it almost upsets me that the motorcycle group's 50 guys and they break down into smaller groups sometimes and ride off in different packs. And some go on some mountain road, some go on another mountain road. And we finally decided, well, I'll teach in the morning. And uh, before we all break up and ride and we have a Bible study at eight o'clock, we'd have a meeting and I'd teach for about a half hour or so. And then. There were a couple other groups that broke off, and I went to this other guy, and I said, well, you know, when you get to this place, you know, wherever you're going to ride up on top, sit down and have a Bible study. Hey, take a five-minute Bible study. Can you do that? And and I looked at this guy. He's been a Christian for, I don't know, probably 30 years. He's one of these guys that gets on these message boards because this motorcycle group has a lot of these little message boards all over the place, and they email each other all over the, you know, and he's the Mr. Authority on the forum, if you would. And I, I looked at this guy and I says, hey, you know what? You need to uh, turn around and teach a Bible. And he looked at me like, me? Teach a Bible study? How can that be? I said, certainly you know of one scripture in the Bible, don't you? Well, uh, yeah, well, uh. do you know one? Yeah. I said, well, why don't you share one scripture that you might know from memory and then why don't you just give your testimony? Can you do that? Well, uh, yeah, well, uh, 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 uh. I said, you know what, it's not just Pastor Dave is the only authorized person that is able to share the gospel. Take some people, go out there, and, and teach a Bible study. And this guy looked at me like I asked him to swallow a camel. And I'm like, I'm like dude, can you do, this is A, B, C of Christianity. Uh, and so sure enough, you know, I see him uh, later on at night. And this guy comes back just beaming with joy. And he's like, oh, Pastor, I, I did what you told me to say, and we went out there, and, and I, I, I shared on, I forget whatever scripture, Galatians, blah, 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 and I gave him my testimony, and wow, you know, it's like, you know, the Lord was just up there on the mountaintop with us five or six guys, and it was really good. Well, you know, it's easy, you know, how hard, it's not that hard. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. if, If the Lord has spoken to us and we have a testimony, Lord, I was lost and now I'm found, and I want to share that with you, Johnny. I was lost and now I'm found because of Jesus. Well, I don't know about the Trinity. I don't know about, you know, all the books. I don't know. I just know Jesus changed my life. And I can tell you this much. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the Scripture. That's the Bible. That's all you need. John 3.16. You got that? Yeah. Well, then you're equipped and empowered to go out and to preach and to feed, to nurture a starving world. That's it. And yet so many people, they hem and they haw and They fight. You're sitting there at the job, you're dealing with somebody, and you're going, I don't know how to deal with this person. They're so obstinate, they're just so stubborn. Did you try praying for that person first off? <laughs> Did you try preaching to that person and see where you stand? Do you believe that you can conquer a problem, or do you look at your job and say, oh, it's just a you know hellhole. I can't stand it, it's so miserable, and everybody there just hates me. Do you have the power? Do you have the authority of Christ? Do you realize that you can heal and touch and set people free? Do you think that you can change some of the world around you? Well, that thought never really occurred to me. I, I, I just wish they'd all be goody-two-shoe little Christians in church and then my job would be so much easier. Well, let's start making a little church at the job. I don't know. I mean, start bringing Christ there. And I like this, and notice, if you would, that there's, there's 12 fragments, uh, or 12, there's 12 uh, 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 basketfuls left of each of the fragments that were taken up by them. 12 basket loads. What does the 12 come from? The 12 comes from each of the disciples. And he's saying, "Look, what starts off with so small, each one of you can pick up a basket load of stuff when it's done." And I like this. It all comes down to, what are you looking at? He took the five loaves and the two fish and Jesus looking up to heaven. And I like that. When you sit down there and you're looking at a problem, we have a tendency to keep our eyes on the world, the problems, the issues, and all the people. And if your eyes are fixed on the problem, you will always be miserable. When your eyes are fixed upon Jesus and when you look up to heaven, you see the kingdom of God and you see the power of Christ and the power of the resurrection and you see his authority, you can say, well, if I see that, then this is solvable. If I look at the problem all the time, I will only think at the level of the problem. Jesus' solution was, he says, looking up to heaven. And for you and I, Scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the suffering of the cross. Do you hear that? So when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you say, Lord, I'm looking at a problem the size of Texas. And you're going to go, well, I can't solve Texas' problems. But when you keep your eyes on Jesus and you go, well, Jesus took on a problem the size of Texas. He took on the hatred of the human race. He took on being crucified, dragged through the streets, beaten, mocked, and spit upon. Everybody, his own people, came to reject him, laugh at him, and spit on him. And yet Jesus turned around and says, Hey, God is able, God is able to resurrect. And that's what builds, strengthens, encourages us in our faith is when we see, keep our eyes locked on Jesus. That's why we as Christians should have something that's called a devotional life. Do you ever pick up your Bible and read it throughout the day? Well, if you want to plug your brain into the mush that's on TV, you're going to be depressed and miserable and frustrated. And sometimes you got to you got to get yourself unplugged from the rest of the world, the media and the hype that it wants to cram down your throat plug yourself into God's Word and say, hey, here's a guy that had the whole world against him and yet he conquered that because of the power of Christ. Hey, I need that thought. I need that thought in my mind every now and then because I can lose it. And so every day I want to crack open that Word. Every day I want to just be reminded, refreshed, invigorated to say, Lord, You're able. You're able. And then I can go into the people, break down the problem and turn around and to realize it's the power and the authority of Christ as a believer that can start, start to make an impact. But sometimes we can be wallowing in the pain. The success is these group of people that turn around and says, "Okay, Jesus, I'll be obedient to your call. I'm going to be a faithful seed to believe. I'm going to keep my eyes upon the heavens, and I'm going to go forward to do what you say. Those are the successful ones that bring forth uh, uh, an abundant crop a hundredfold. And notice what it says, and here comes the humdinger of it all. It says, verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying. Jesus is praying that his disciples joined him. And Jesus asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? Who am I and what am I to the most of the people out there? This is going to be, listen to this, the central question of everything that you believe and understand. This is the question that separates the men from the boys. This is the question that separates the sheep from the goats. This is the question that separates those that are going to heaven and those that are going to hell. Who do you say that Jesus is? And they answered. They said, well, some people believe you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Jesus, there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of speculations on just who who you are you could be somebody good elijah was somebody good you could be one of the prophets that was somebody good john the baptist was a good man yeah you're all good and you know a lot of people have their opinions but notice that jesus turns around and he said to them well i've heard others opinions but he says but who do you say that i am And that's the question that you have to answer because Jesus is asking you that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter, he said, the Christ, the Son of God. And when he's declaring that, he's saying the Christ. He's saying that you're the Messiah. You're the one that's the anointed one. That's what the Christ would be. You are the one that was appointed by God to redeem and to restore the world. You are God's messenger. You are God himself, if you would, by saying that the Christ of God. And So he gives the right answer. And nevertheless, Jesus says, and he strictly warned and he commanded them, to tell this to no one. Now that's a difficult pill to swallow because you'd think he'd want to tell everyone, and this is the third time as well we've had a da- uh, uh, dance with this issue. Saying, he says, Well, for this reason, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and also, not only for all that, and to be raised on the third day. So Jesus is saying, You know what? There has to be a process of being broken first before there is power to proclaim. And Jesus is saying he has to go to the cross and that is his mission is to suffer and to die on that cross so that he could show the resurrection. And so he's saying, Peter, you got the right answer to a very important question and you're going to have the evidence to back that up when you see that Jesus has the power and the authority of the resurrected life that has got to substantiate that truth. So he doesn't want to put the uh, cart before the ox, if you would. He doesn't want to say anything too quickly here, but he's saying that's the truth. And you and I have to be able to answer that question, who do you say that Jesus is? got to understand that. If you answer that question any other way, It's the wrong answer. Who Jesus is, what He is, is what separates us and why we stand to believe that we are going to heaven. Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. Our sins are placed upon Christ. We believe that as Jesus died, He paid the price for our sins, atoned for us, And then that gives us just cause for you and I to go to heaven. Listen, this is ABCs of Christianity. This is the fundamentals of all that we are, is that we believe in grace. That God sent His Son, Jesus, to come into this world as the anointed, the appointed, and that He died in our place, and then we get to go to heaven for what He has done. We never go to heaven because of, because of what we have done. So many people in this world are deceived and believe that I'm going to go to heaven because I've been a good boy. Well, you know why I'm a good boy? Because I'm better than you. And I'm better than most people. So I think that God would want me. Wrong answer. If any one of us have sinned, and Scripture would say that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, if we've all sinned and we're all destined for hell, then it's only the love of God that restores us and rebuilds us and gives us strength to enter into the presence of God. So we're trusting in God's redeeming love, which is what's called grace. We're trusting in grace, not in ourselves. And so we have to believe that God is a God of love if we understand that Jesus is the Christ. If Jesus was just another man, <clears throat> if Jesus was just somebody that came along and got married and moved on, gee, people want to attack and destroy Jesus to make him common. And what Jesus was is he's saying, no, I'm uncommon, uh, I, I am unique, I am the appointed one that God has chosen to have me die in that place of your sins. And if we trust in that, then we're trusting in God to get us into the kingdom of heaven. And that is our premise and the only answer that's going to get us in there. Notice Jesus follows this with another answer. He turns to another statement. He says, verse 23, he said to them all... He says, if anyone desires to come after me, you want to be one of my followers and you want to have the success that he's having, you have to, he says, let him deny himself. That's death to all of your efforts, your works and your desires. And you have to take up your cross and take up his cross how often? Daily. Daily. It's a daily process of dying to yourself. That's what it is to take up your cross. A cross is an instrument of death and pain. It's a torture stake, if you would. It's nothing comfortable. And you have to follow Jesus. Jesus has got to go to the cross. And He says, if you want to come after Me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Him. And He clearly says, for whoever desires to save his life, So if you're running around trying to do everything in your own strength and your own power and trying to do it all your own way, you're going to lose it. You won't have it because you can't do it your own way. But whoever loses his life, Okay, Lord, I quit. I'm trusting in Jesus as my Messiah. I've had it. I surrender all to you, God. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, So you're going to surrender your heart over to give it to God. You're just not going to say, trust me, there's a lot of people out there that are miserable losers. There are a lot of people out there that that are in desperate straits that don't like themselves and that hate themselves, but that doesn't make you godly. You're giving up yourself and giving it to God. Big difference. So the world's full of people that are crying and miserable and and desperate and they still are hanging on to their own woes and misery. True Christianity Christianity is one that says, Lord, I'm giving over to you. Whoever loses his life for my sake, that is the one that will save it. For what profit is it To a man, if he gains the whole world... You got everything, buddy. The world is yours and is himself destroyed or lost. So you can have everything this world has to offer. You think you're rich and successful, and yet you're going to burn in hell forever. What good does that do? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of Him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when He comes in His own glory and His Father's and of the holy angels. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be ashamed of Jesus, then He'll be ashamed of you. If you want to confess Jesus as Lord, acknowledge Him and answer the question correctly on who Jesus is, you will find everlasting life. These are the simple ABCs of everything of Christianity, of trusting in the grace, the grace of God, is to turn around and just say, Lord, I'm not ashamed of you. You suffered and died, but you had victory. Lord, I'm going to own up to the fact that you are my Messiah my Christ, you died for me and I am trusting in that so I'm going to give my life over to that premise and on that basis alone and solely on that basis we would have everlasting life. So Jesus is spelling it out clear as a bell, simple in front of us and that if we could take these scriptures and share it with anybody we would turn around and say Lord, I believe. I believe in who you are. I need to have something that's going to satisfy the need of my life, the thirst of my life, the hunger of my soul. Because this world is full of people that are lost, destitute, and desperate, and they need an answer. so we can turn around and ask ourselves through that sub-theme we said was going through here is to say Lord I want to be a true disciple because guess what we've all seen false disciples we've all seen liars we've all seen hypocrites we've all seen people that claim to be godly and yet they fail to live up to what Christ is asking them to do as a believer and you can start to see where we would want to be able to say, the first thing we need to do is to ask, ask some questions. We don't want to be dull, dim witted, ignorant, stupid of spiritual things. And so many people in this world just seem, duh. Uh, turn the brain on, ask a couple questions and say, Lord, how did I get here? Lord What's my purpose for being here? Lord, where do I go when I die? Lord, what's the meaning of life? I ask a few questions. We went through that. Then you want to turn around and you want to sit down there and believe in God and you want to listen to the calling of God. God's going to come into your heart. He's going to start to speak to you and he's going to give you a calling. Just as we were talking about the people with the pigs and the guy who was sitting at the feet who had a legion of demons in him and he heard the voice of the Lord and Jesus said to stay and to minister to his people. And sometimes there's a calling of God that we need to turn around and a real disciple is going to ask questions. He's going to hear the voice of God calling him and to say, Lord, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. Where would you have me go? What would you have me to do? And then you're going to turn around and you have to have faith to believe in God. You can't sit there and laugh at God. You can't be ashamed of God. You can't scorn at Him when Jesus says, I have power to resurrect. You'll have everlasting life. (laughs) And how many of His own disciples, His own disciples would be mocking Him, laughing at Him in unbelief. And a true believer is somebody who says, Okay, Lord, I'm asking, I'm hearing the call, and I have faith to believe. I'm not going to laugh at the things that You have for me. I'm taking my Christianity Seriously. And sometimes as we go through life and as we watch so many believers, I look at people and I really I want to ask one question. I said, do you take your faith in God seriously? No, honestly. Do you really believe that there's everlasting life? You know, or is this just some joke? Is it something to do on a Sunday because football doesn't start till noon? I don't know. I wonder how come people are here sometimes. And I I want to ask him, I says, do you really believe, do you you take this stuff seriously? Do you believe that when you die you're going to have eternity in the streets of gold in Paris? Do you believe that God can give you the power and the authority and that you can heal certain people? Do you believe that you can change other people's lives? Is this just a joke? I mean, what are we doing with our lives? Oh, (laughs) oh, you're not going to be one of them radical Christians, are you, that really believe in that garbage? You're not going to believe that Jesus is going to rapture the church and we're all going to just disappear. (laughs) Be practical. Be reasonable. Don't, Don't undermine, underestimate the power of God because for us as believers, it's everything for who and what we are. And then you have to turn around and ask the hard question and say, are we bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? if you're a believer in Christ, we should be bearing a hundredfold. There should be people that are touched, ministered to, and influenced by the things that we have said and done. Oh, gee, are you saying, Pastor, I have to go out there and be an evangelist? Do I have to go out there and lead the whole world? Do I have to make a hundred converts? Well, there should be some. But... But even if it's just that you've healed a hundred people with the good news, if you've encouraged other believers, and it's amazing to see how there are believers that are 30 years down the line of being believers and they bear no fruit besides anger, frustration, division, and, 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 and wanting to always be the center of attention. Hello? That's not Christianity. Christianity. And somewhere down the line, I want to be able to say, Lord, you know, this is what I've tried to do. This is what I've accomplished to some degree. This is what's out there. I want to do everything I can so that come Judgment Day, I can be able to present to the Lord with a sense of, Lord, I want to take my crown and lay it at your feet and to say, you know, where the Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And certainly, the question then is, am I ashamed of Jesus? When my back's against the wall, am I going to own up to who and what I am? Or do I turn around and say, "Uh, uh, 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 don't ask me to say anything about Jesus. I'd rather remain neutral. Don't want to step on anybody's toes. Uh, Today's a baptism day, and it's awesome. Every time I, I do a baptism, I walk away. I don't care if there's three or 30 people getting baptized. I go out there and I see somebody standing up in front of the church and just saying, Jesus Christ changed my life. And it's awesome to see that there has been people that have always come forward and that what we need to do is to say, Jesus Christ changed my life. And it's the most beautiful thing to see as a church that we would see people not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed to stand up and to own up to the fact that Jesus changed my life. That's what's happening. You're going out to the river. You're going to proclaim the truth and say, Jesus Christ changed my life. And then you're going to be buried. The old man goes down, it says in Romans chapter 6 and then the new man comes up out of the water and you're representing the new resurrected life to say that there's a change, there's something different, there's something else going on besides the old, stale, stubborn life that I had before. There's new life in Christ. And so you would be right to say, hey, of all time, if you would like to stand up and not be ashamed of the gospel, go out to the lake today, get baptized, give your life to Christ, profess Him to be Lord. And to say, I'm going to die to myself, I'm going to humble myself, I am going to deny myself and give my life over to the Lord so that newness can happen. And trust me, if you're sitting here skeptical, if you're sitting here just, you know, oh, well, don't ask me to go out on a limb, Pastor. I can only tell you that if you go out on a limb, the more you go out on a limb, the more you trust, the more you believe, the more you stand up for Christ, the greater the results are going to be in your life. You can have victory in Christ. You can have a power-filled life. You can have the power and the authority to be able to heal, to set people free, and to minister to them. And hello, there is a world out there that is depressed and miserable, frustrated, angry, on the verge of suicide, and they're looking for an answer. And we have an obligation to say, if we're the true seed, to say, well, let me tell you the good news, brother. Let me share the good news with you. Let me show you Jesus Christ. Let me lay hands on you and pray for you. Let me be able to take one scripture, share it, and tell you the testimony that Jesus changed me and he can change you too. We as a church need that spark. We need to be true believers in Christ. We want to be able to say, Lord, I know that I'm going to heaven because I'm unashamed of the gospel. And trust me, this is Jesus' sifting process because there's a whole world of the mixed multitudes, the mixed attitudes, like we said, me flying over New York City and looking at all the mass in New York City and you go, God, how can you sift all this mess out? How do you know my prayer, Johnny's prayer, and where everyone's at? And Jesus is answering that question. He says, uh, what we do is in the kingdom of heaven is we present the truth to everyone and then we look for their response. And so the burden less rests on us to say, Lord, how am I going to respond to you? The question comes down to, who do I say that Jesus is? Is he really the Son of God? Is he the Christ, the one that died for me and I'll have everlasting life? Do I really believe that? Or is it just, you know, a fable, a story, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't want to say for sure. Man, put yourself out on a limb. Risk. Take your heart, your life, and say, Lord, it's yours. I want to take it for what it's worth. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. The Heavenly Father, we do want to come before you. We thank You, Father, for the goodness of what You've said and done. Father, I, for one, want to just pray, Father, that You would change my life. That I would pick up my cross daily. And once again, Father, that we would live a committed life towards You. That we would answer that question, Father, correctly and say that You're our Christ, our Lord, and our Savior. That there would be no shame, no fear, no doubt, Father. And that we would be able to impact a dying world. Father, I pray for each and every single person here, that they would worship the true Jesus in sincerity and in truth, and that they would live for you like never before. Father, these words, these words today, they render our hearts so that we rip them to pieces and we are broken before you. I pray, Father, that You would ignite us to be alive and strong and new. Father, we thank You. We praise You. We give You all the glory, Father, for being the resurrected, risen Lord and Savior of us all, Father. Uh, We just thank You for great, great things, Father. We praise You in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.